I'm Cassidy Hall. I'm Carl McCollman. I am Kevin Johnson, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. We are back again for another episode of Encountering Silence, and I'm looking forward to a visitor who is returning, our first returning visitor, Patrick Shen, joining Cassidy Hall as we get a chance to talk today about their upcoming book, uh, Notes on Silence. This book evolved out of the recording and the editing and the making of In Pursuit of Silence, and then it evolved into its own unique thing, which we will get into today in conversation. So welcome to Patrick and Cassidy, and thank you. Cassidy, you're part of the Encountering Silence team, but today you're a guest with Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for doing this. This is uh, looking forward to talking to you guys about uh, talking with you guys about the book. Yes, and and before we begin, Patrick, I just want to make a comment. I've received uh, countless comments from friends and, and listeners of the podcast. They really enjoyed the episode uh, that you visited, you know, a few weeks ago, and and talked to us about your your creativity, <laughs> the shed, all that things. I've been getting great feedback oh, that's from nice. that. So that is fantastic. That's great to hear. So I think what I'd like us to start with is a very basic question. This book, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but this book evolved originally out of the creating of the movie in Pursuit of Silence, but it feels like something on its own now after reading it. It it is a piece of art on its own that I I enjoyed tremendously. So could you walk us through a little bit about that? What inspired this book? How did it how did you come to this conclusion, the two of you, that you wanted to write this book? Yeah, I think we might both kind of share a little bit different angle of answer, but um, it was evident along the way uh, while working on the film that we were just accumulating so many, quite literally, notes on silence um, between quotes, between excerpts from poems and prose that we were coming across that just was really inspiring. And naturally, you know, all of these things couldn't make it in the film. And more than that, I would say, you know, day in and day out, uh, Patrick and I would be in the office together having long-winded conversations about silence and, you know, the many metaphors of silence, how to clothe silence, how to let silence lead in a film, um, all these kinds of things. And, and so the book has evolved into a combination of original essays and also transcripts from different interviewees from the film, uh, some of which, actually most of which, uh, did not make it in the film. And it's just kind of our, our meanders, like all, all these things that we encountered. And I think what's really beautiful is I really do see it as a standalone piece, um, the book itself, but also the beauty of um, the vast array that we share within it. As I say, our agreements and disagreements, our thoughts and 
you know, most importantly, our recognition of, of the unknown and just trying to do due diligence to that. So it, it was a quite a task to take on, but it was kind of, it felt very inevitable, at least for me. So Inevitable is a really good word for it, actually. You know, I think about this lyric that I'm really fond of, written by a, a songwriter I, I grew up listening to. Her name is Jonathan Brooks. She, she wrote, uh, there was never a world I, I couldn't sing into place until now. <laughs> I think about that a lot. You know, all my films in some way have been these kind of tangible representations of, of this intangible kind of curiosity about something. And for the most part, I think the films have been pretty satisfactory in terms of kind of um, quenching that, that curiosity about, about that particular subject. And this was, I think, the first time where I felt well, this is, I, I feel like I'm just beginning. You know, we had completed this film mm. after three, four years of our lives, knee deep in, in making the film. And here I was feeling just really unsettled about the whole thing. Like there was just so much more that I needed and wanted to get out of the subject that I felt like it just really, really just begun. And so this book really is in a way a much deeper dive into the subject that we weren't able to do throughout the making of the film. And it was a much more focused kind of deeper dive, I would say, focused um, look into uh, our experiences of silence and, and our understandings of silence and our expressions really out that, that have come from an experience and a consciousness that have evolved from this deep dive into silence. Uh, Patrick or Cassidy, either one of you, do you feel like the book says something that the movie doesn't? Yeah, it's a great you question. Know, what's interesting with silence is, as all of us here recognize, is that it's always overstated and it's always undersaid. Ooh, so I, that's wonderful. <laughs> say that again. That's going. On. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, spectacular. <laughs> so with silence always being overstated and undersaid, you know, we get to a place where you can go either direction with it. And I think the natural result of all of our studies, you know, and all of, all of our work, individual and, and work together in studying silence and in working on this documentary is just all this additional overstatement, so to speak, um, which is interesting because we both um, in both of our essays, we talk a lot about this idea of, you know, ultimately we have to let go. We're, we're using all these words, all these words, all these words, but ultimately we have to let go and let silence be what it is. Right, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything to add to that. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I think the film is more of an invitation into the subject, whereas I think the book, um, like I said earlier, is a, is a much deeper exploration of the subject. And I think one of the things that I, I found so surprising about the whole process was how much there is to be said <laughs> and, and, and kind of borrowing from what you just said uh, and to be unsaid about the subject. It's, it's a really strange, Carl, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a very strange s sort of paradox of diving into words and using words to talk about the subject. And, um, right, and then also this, this unsaying with words. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, right. It, it, but you know, but it makes sense. We've talked about this in other episodes, and and I think even the last time you were on, Patrick, that there there is something you have to point to it. You need words. You need to say the word silence so that people know the topic. But as soon as you start talking about it, you, you're not doing it anymore, and it's this weird thing that if you want to engage it, what are you supposed to do? It's like you said, paradoxical. Yeah. When you're when you're standing on the North Pole, you take one step in any direction, and you're heading south. Right. You're heading away from the north, and <laughs> I think it's really the same the same thing that if you know to to speak about silence, to write about silence is to betray silence. Mm -hmm. And, and the, you know, the only other topic I can think of where that is just as true is God. Right. You know, any attempt to write about God or to speak about God is to betray God. And, and one of the things I love about the book is that it is such a profoundly spiritual statement, and yet it also is such a profoundly, I don't want to say non-spiritual, but, but it also creates the space to have a conversation about silence that doesn't require God to be in the room, if that makes any sense. And, you know, as somebody who obviously most of my writing, most of my work is kind of on campus in terms of Christian spirituality, it, it really was a delight for me to read this book that wanted to talk about poetry and wanted to talk about education and wanted to talk about health and wanted to talk about politics. And I think all of those conversations are so important when we talk about silence. But still, silence is continually being betrayed. So it, mm. you know, it, 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 it's a it's a fascinating challenge, I think, for an artist to to engage with this this thing we call silence. But you know, Mazel Tov to you guys for going <laughs> in where angels fear to tread. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and I want to echo that too because you know, my my work, I I, I wear two hats. I feel and 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 more and more. Some of my stuff will be coming out online, and, and as I do that, the two hats Carl's just mentioned, I do speak to uh, Christians, I, I work with them, and so I do something similar as Carl, but then I really appreciated what was in this book was because you guys, as Carl just mentioned, you were doing something more culturally. You were doing something that like touched into artistry, uh, science, uh, all areas of what it means to be a human being, not just a spiritual piece you were doing this holistic thing. And so I, I really do appreciate how the book has has these pieces to it, the artistic, you know, the aesthetic, the scientific, the educational, all aspects of that. So that was really moving to me. And did, did you find that was just a natural outgrowth because the movie itself did that? Or did you feel a, a push or a pull in any particular direction in unsaying about silence here? Did you feel that you had to be more artistic in this book as opposed to the movie? Or did you feel, or, or does it feel just like a natural continuation of that same approach in the movie? Because the movie was broad as well. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think it was, it was kind of an organic evolution of kind of who we were and, and how we responded. It very much is yeah. a collection we keep calling it a commonplace record of our several years of, of being deep into the subject. Um, and as Cassidy mentioned earlier, there's just so much material and, and so, much, so many different ways that, that, that we found that we wanted to exp express 
different aspects of our experience with silence that just did not fit with the the film aesthetic or uh, the film medium. Um, right. So it's really kind of a natural evolution from kind of all this unfinished business within within us. I mean, I felt draw towards the the spiritual <clears throat> component of silence. I would say, and felt uh, I was given license with this book to go much much deeper into that realm than we were <clears throat> able to in in the film. Because I, I think at the end of the day when you when you take a very close look at something especially a topic as big and mysterious as silence it, it ultimately dumps you on the doorstep of aspects of our experience that are of the spirit and right. speak to our inner lives and so I, I mean i think that there's a real strong theme of, of that uh, throughout throughout the book more so than than the film Right. And I, I appreciate what you guys mentioned about the book also kind of having both the presence and absence of God, so to speak, right? Because as we all well know, silence lives in the paradox and ultimately, you know, it can't host presence or absence and, and simultaneously can, it can host both at the same time, which is what's so incredible. But I think, you know, just as we so often say at, at Q&As after sharing In Pursuit of Silence, you know, we ultimately want, if we want people leaving with anything, it's just for their own idea of what silence is for them. And whether that is uh, a spiritual aspect or not is really none of my business. And it's more just that, that they're able to hold the unknown and the paradox for themselves um, because I do think that's one of the hardest things we have to do in our lives is hold those paradoxes and hold those tensions together, whether it's um, related to God, whether it's related to death, whether it's related to love, any of the mysteries um, and unknowns of lives, of our lives that we ultimately just have to hold in the paradox because we don't know, because we can't have, because we can't grasp. Right, right. <clears throat> that, you know, listening to you speak, Cassidy, I'm kind of reminded of, again, another kind of element in the book or thread in the book that I just really, really appreciated. And I think all of you know that this is something that has really been, you know, on my heart for years now. And that's the question between the relationship between silence and privilege or silence and justice. And, you know, especially when you get into the interview section of the book, you know, a number of the your dialogue partners, you know, are very, very much engaged in this question. You know, is silence something that you that is only accessible to those who can pay for it in our culture? You know, and, and how is the experience of silence for somebody who comes from, you know, from a community that's under duress, uh, you know, families where there are you know, there's there's economic disadvantage or struggling with addiction, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I agree, Cassidy, that every one of us has to find our own encounter with silence, to use the name of the podcast. But I also think that there are ways in which our culture has marginalized silence or or banished silence that really does then become a political issue. And, um, and so um, I guess my question for you two 
is, you know, as you as you conducted these interviews, as you literally traveled around the world, meeting people and finding, you know, finding places of profound silence, et cetera, et cetera. First of all, what surprised you? You know, what really was kind of a wow moment where you just had this incredible insight? And then also, if if each one of you could just speak briefly on this question of what what have you learned in terms of the politics of silence? And, you know, and what would you want to share with, with people who are reading the book or seeing the movie or both or whatever? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know those are that's tiny little questions, five seconds. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to, um, I, my mind goes straight to our interview with, uh, George Prochnik. And in that interview, um, he specifically in this instance, talking about this inner city school in Brooklyn. He has a friend who is a teacher there, you know, a, a, a large intimidating man is, is kind of how he described him. He's six foot four and, and he told George Prochnik that he couldn't even keep his classroom quiet for a minute. And you know, this just, just blew his mind. Like there's no way, of course you can keep him quiet for a minute. They just don't know, you know, the beauty of silence or, or how beneficial it can be to their lives. And what was so interesting is that, uh, so George went back into the school and tried to be a fly on the wall, and he noticed, in fact, they could not be silent for one minute. And so he went back and he thought about it, and he decided to go back into the school with this idea of talking to the students about important moments of silence, powerful moments of silence that meant something meaningful to them. And he was thinking, you know, maybe they would talk about going out into the into the woods and for the first time and being utterly alone and it was magnificent. But what he found was when he asked the kids and he, you know, he said, I waited to be enlightened. I sat down with the ring of high school sophomores, about 10 kids. The first kid says to me, I remember when my father hit my mother. I didn't want to speak with anyone for a week. The next kid says, I remember when my brother was killed, my father stopped talking. One by one, every one of these young people spoke of moments of such anguish as the moment of silence that occurred to them. They spoke of being silenced and all the, dark, all the darkly that, that resonance with it, by pain and by deep senses of exclusion. And I thought to myself, we have to do better as a society for these people, for this community. These kids, their homes are not quiet for lots of reasons in almost every case. And so, you know, he kind of finishes this this thought with with this line that struck me time and time again, no matter how many times I read this transcript. He said, not only does it seem to me that there's something so unbelievably calloused about asking young people who've had no positive experience of silence to be more quiet, but it strikes me that there have been some critical failure among people like myself, and I would argue ourselves, people who are educated on silence and who are in a position of at least enough privilege to know that silence is something we want. And we've not done very well at sharing that awareness with individuals uh, where it can actually help. And I, that, that struck me time and time again because a lot of times in the book and in and, and the film we discuss why are people afraid of silence? And you know, a lot of times we go to the fact that we face our inner noise and we face you know, these inner demons. And, and we think of those things as that, you know, our internal dialogue and these negative thoughts and whatnot, but we, f we fail to remember the people that have had, as we said in a previous episode, the kind of these toxic experiences of silence, these experiences of silence that just 
are so painful and so toxic and things we don't consider as a means to be explored for the sake of coming to a place where silence is a positive thing. Yeah, I, when I think about the politics of silence, I think we're really talking about, uh, in a significant way, the politics of, of noise in the way that that noise is used as a as a means to tranquilize us in a way, to get us to kind of buy into a particular cultural message. And I think that's what's really concerning about this issue of silence and noise and, and, and the politics of, of the scenario and how often we're barraged by different messages, whether it be in print or over the airwaves, and how all of these things ultimately are just sort of drowning out what it is truly that we want and who we want to be in the direction that we intend to move in. And I think that's the scariest thing of all. It's those people who obviously are privileged and have the means to go off on retreat that are able to actually spend time with themselves and consider the future. Whereas it's often those who are underprivileged, uh, living in often very, very noisy environments near train tracks, under flight paths, that don't have that space to reflect and to consider how they might move past where they currently are in their lives. Um, and so that's the scariest thing of all, I think, when it comes to noise and, and the lack of access to silent spaces. Um, and, you know, I think as far as what we can do about that, you know, I don't know, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a much larger conversation to be had, and, and I, I don't know if I'm qualified to come up with any real solid answers in this area, but I think it definitely starts with who we are internally right, as an activist. For us to bring about any kind of change in the external, it all always begins, no matter what cause we're speaking of, right? It all begins with the internal. We're not able to appreciate kind of the, the, the external tranquility without first appreciating and being able to kind of tap into the inner tranquility. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, if we can do that and lead by example, I think that's where it begins. That's where we can kind of begin to, to create things in the world that then evolve from that space, evolve from that, that, that place of being, that mode of being, rather than create as many people do, which is fine, but many people are creating things, whether it be books, art, any type of media, it's being created from the space of noise. It's a response to the noise yeah. rather than the silence. And so, I, I don't know, I think activists, activism, there's a, there's a similar dynamic, I think, in activism where it, I think you have to sort of act from a particular space. You've connected with the cause in a, in a really profound way. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence. And that brings to mind the work of, uh, you know, the Franciscan writer, uh, Richard Rohr, who talks about 
his ministry is called the Center for Action and Contemplation. Mm. And I've heard him speak where he said the most important word in the, in the title of our organization is the word and. Mm. That, you know, to be an activist, you, you need to come out of that deeply contemplative place mm. or else your activism simply becomes reactive. Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, we, we all can think of the, you know, examples in history where, you know, revolutionary movements end up looking just like whatever it was they were uh, revolting against. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so this, this, this danger of replicating the problem you're trying to solve. And so mm-hmm. I, when I hear you, you know, so, so yeah, it brings us back, you know, those of us who do have <laughs> access to silence, it's like we have an obligation to drink deeply of that water <laughs> so that it can then, it can then suffuse our, our artwork or our work, our yes. labor, yes. our, our relationships, our community involvement. You know, if we're in positions of leadership, that that we can begin to lead out of that place. Mm. So it's fantastic. So you know, changing the subject just a little, I I really think that you know one of the 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 treasures in this book is the photography. <clears throat> Knowing obviously both of you are photographers, filmmaker photographers, I'm I'm curious if you could just maybe, if each one of you could pick one picture in the book that is particularly meaningful for you or you, you'd like to speak about and maybe describe it briefly and then maybe speak about what's, you know, why, why you picked that particular photograph. So in this nearly 300-page book, there's photos spread throughout, which the point was a combination of points. As you know, this resulted, this book resulted after creating a film but what's so interesting about these still images is that they offer a pause and a lull both between reading and also for us, it was a pause oftentimes on production trips when we were traveling, when we were you know, filming, when we were creating moving images, so to speak. So I think that's what's so inspiring to me about them. And so the image that in particular that I'm gonna pick is actually from Patrick's essay called A Poetic Life and it's a photo of shadows, but there's a lot of space in the image. It's on page 69, and it's just a beautiful image of his shadow up on a wall. And what I love about it is, so the title is Evidence. And I love this idea of shadow demonstrating presence and creating a sense of presence. It's, it's a photo that's almost presents a paradox because the backside of faith is doubt you know, the shadow, right, and our shadow is, speaks to the fact of our presence. And then actually, in a following essay by Patrick, I feel like it actually kind of ties nicely with this. Um, In Silence as Memento Mori, he wrote, Alas, we cannot know for certain. The cosmos demand that we surrender to its majesty, and we we must take our seat at the feet of doubt. So I just love the way that he interwove these paradoxes and these, these truths through those things. Um, and that image in particular was always a very nice pause for me when we were editing and everything. It was just a very nice calm with very few colors. And it's, it's just a really great reminder of, of what the photos were meant to be in the book also. Wow. Thank you. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, th- there's, 
yeah, there's a lot of a lot of photos, each with with its own story. I think ultimately they reflect a, a, an aesthetic, right? A, a a a mode of being, and we've talked about this a number of times now. This this idea of this this work, this book, evolving out of something, evolving out of of a space, and I think that's what's particularly interesting for me about these photographs is that while there are they might have some aesthetic kind of um, considerations in them. They were not necessarily taken, at least from my perspective, to win photo contests or they were not taken to be photographs. Mm -hmm. They were really pure expressions of a place, a mode, or a particular time, or a particular timeless aspect mm -hmm. of where we were through the process. There's a beautiful photo, one of my, probably my favorite photo in the entire book. What's especially, I think, profound about this particular photograph by Cassidy that she took it in Huntsville, Utah at uh, Holy Trinity Abbey, was that it transports you to a place and a time and, again, this mode of being. Um, it, it's uh, the last image of her, her essay about the modern-day desert and equating uh, the desert fathers and mothers and their retreat into the desert with our... Our, our modern day retreat into the, the, the desert that is the busyness of, of modern life and the urgencies that we experience in modern life. And it's a fascinating essay, um, but I love that the period at the end of the whole kind of um, statement is, is this photo of Holy Trinity Abbey that really kind of makes you, makes you pause and puts you in that place. I don't know. I, I, I love photographs that that speak into who the artist is and was at that moment in time and transports you to, to that, that consciousness almost. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to play too. Cause, um, I mean, there's so <laughs> many, there's so many lovely photographs, but just listening to the two of you talk, I was brought back to the photograph that is spread on 278, 279. And that's the one of Patrick filming the Lone Tree. Mm. Which is, so, it's fun, because that's a, you know, an image that incorporates both of us. Yeah, because I, I took that photo of Patrick, realizing that this tree was important to our film and to our process. Also an important aspect of, of the friendship that we've developed while, while working on this film, while working on this book. Um, it just shows kind of... A, you know, this, this partnership that we've created um, in terms of working on art together. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that you like that one. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> and, and what I see in it is, I think there's this line from a song by Laurie Anderson <laughs> where she sings, this is the time and this is the record of the time. Mm. And I'll have to look it up, but, um, but I'll put it in the show notes where, where that comes from. But, but that comes to mind when I see this photograph because you have this image that really, I think, has become iconic for the movie, mm -hmm. the image of the lone tree. Mm -hmm. And then you have this image of the lone tree being photographed. <laughs> and so, so if, 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 the, if the lone tree represents, represents silence but also represents the reality that we, we talk about silence, that we think in silence, that we feel in silence, that, you know, like reading about the, the anechoic, am I pronouncing it right? Or anechoic. The anechoic. 
anechoic chambers and how, you know, you move into those chambers and you're listening literally to the blood course through your veins and your heartbeat and the the air passing through your lungs. You know, there's the absolute silence would be a state of lifelessness. So so our, our relationship with silence is always filtered through sound in some way, shape or form that that the sky, we, we recognize the sky is there because we see the clouds or we see the tree or we see the birds and, or, or even the blue light, which is just a refraction of the, of the solar light, that um, all of that is essential for us to have the encounter with the sky. And so the same thing with the encounter with silence. But then we take a step back and we talk about the encounter. I mean, that's what the podcast mm. is. You know, people tease us. You know, oh, you have a podcast on silence. Does that mean you're just silent for 30 minutes? You know, is that your podcast? You know, we kind of roll with it. But, but the reality is, is we are silent for 30 minutes. We're just busy talking over the silence. And so you have the tree and then you have the photograph of the tree. You know, this is the time and this is the record of the time. This is the tree and this is the photograph of the tree or the photograph of the artist, you know. <laughs> the artist photographing the tree. So that's why it really it speaks to me for what it's worth. So I love that. That's great. Yeah, one thing I think about too is um, you know, I imagine that we'll get a lot of similar comments as you have with the Encounter and Sil- Silence podcast and that we got throughout <laughs> making the film and certainly at Q&As about why the film isn't completely silent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I imagine we'll get similar feedback on the book and how we've kind of sort of justified you know, a 300-page book <laughs> on a subject about about silence. And and uh, I guess my, my response to that is, you know, I, I and I think like most people, are, are trained in this mode of discursive thinking, you know? Like we, we come at things from an intellectual kind of perspective. Mm. We want to clothe our experiences of the world with words. And so that's that's my regular mode of being, good or bad. And... I think it's it was helpful for me certainly when I was kind of diving into silence to have people who had come before me relate to silence with words through this sort of intellectual kind of discursive kind of mode of thinking as an entry point and I think that's what this book is in a way it's it's a for those who are uh, kind of trained in words this book is meant to be kind of a, an entry point, a, a doorway for them to enter through, through which they might hopefully uh, find other and, and new paths to follow, ultimately, hopefully, um, finding uh, themselves in a space where words are no longer necessary. And, and Patrick speaks to that in one of his original essays in the book, and um, it also reminds me of a monk said to me from New Mallory Abbey, um, his name is Father Albrecht, and he said that silence is a place of infinite possibility. And this idea that silence is also a place of infinite language because there is no proper language, because there is no uh, official way to box it in. And oh. so we just kind of spend our lives attempting to, um, but it makes it makes the language infinite. It makes the possibilities infinite to express it in various ways, not just language, of course, in film as well and in the arts and in the way people raise their children. I mean, there's all sorts of ways where we can meet that silence in new ways. It's just, again, infinite possibilities. That That's beautiful, and I think that's a, 
a wonderful place for us to kind of bring this together. Thank you both so much for being willing to talk about this this latest work of art that you're sharing with us. Uh, once again, the book is called um, Notes on Silence. Cassidy, could you speak to how how someone can order the book? Yeah, to order the book, you can go to notesonsilence.com, and uh, it would also be linked out from our show notes from today's episode. Well, once again, thank you both so much. I think the book is is just, it's obviously a wonderful companion piece to the movie, but I think it, it makes a wonderful statement on its own. And it's just been a delight to have a few minutes to chat with you about it today. So um, thank you and many blessings. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, www.encounteringsilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website. Connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit www.patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being.